I want you to mark your attendance at Sun Valley today in your mind, maybe in your calendar, um, so that you can confirm that you were here on the first day of our exposition of Psalm 119 and uh, get credit for it someday in the future. Uh, today I am going to begin our new sermon series on Psalm 119, and um, <clears throat> if you've been in the church for a while and been reading good literature, uh, you no doubt have come across sermons or Bible studies or um, commentaries on this particular psalm. Um, there is much to be said and that has been said on Psalm 119. For good reason, the great uh, Old Testament uh, commentator and theologian French Delitz said this, in Psalm 119 we have set forth an inexhaustible fullness what the word of God is to a man and how a man is to behave himself in relation to it. Psalm 119 will demonstrate for you the importance of relating to the word of God. Um, Jonathan Edwards, wrote this, I know of no part of the Holy Scriptures where the nature and evidences of true and sincere godliness are so fully and largely insisted on and delineated as in the 119th Psalm. So we are in good company in studying this Psalm. There is a plethora of material written on it. In fact, Thomas Manton, uh, a uh, 16th century Puritan, preached over 250 sermons on this psalm. I'm not going to preach that many on this psalm. But we will be here probably for a couple years in this psalm, and we'll hopefully mine the depths of this psalm at least to a greater degree than you currently have been. My prayer for you is that you will see the value of the Word of God like you have not before, and it would change the course of your life in terms of your practice of uh, being in the Word for yourself. Um, so what's so special about Psalm 119? If you have a Bible, I want you to turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you in the pew. Uh, turn to Psalm 119. It's, it's about in the very middle of your copy of the Bible. <clears throat> We're going to spend the next few months finding out what is so special about Psalm 119. And today I'm going to just introduce it to you. I'm just going to share with you why the study of this particular passage is important in hopes that it will whet your appetite to want to return for further investigation. So let's look at this revelation of God, this special particular revelation. Do you remember what was just read for you from Psalm 19? Psalm 19 lays out two revelations of God, the general revelation, which is creation, his created order. You, you can't go outside at night and not see the wonder of God's revelation of who God is in himself by looking at nature. But then there's something special, a special revelation, which is actually God's words to his people, that he had his prophets and apostles write down with ink on paper so that you and I could have copies of them right now, this morning, in our possession. But the first thing that I want to, you to see from our introduction of the psalm is that it is a multifaceted revelation. When you look at a diamond, if you've ever done so, you can see many different angles that make up the beauty of that gem, gemstone. Uh, psalm 119 does the very same thing with the Word of God. It exposes uh, a multidimensional glory of God and His Word. It, it helps the people of God see the, the vast value of the Word of God because it exposes the details from different angles of God Himself. In fact, Psalm 19 has many titles in the Word of God. Uh, and the same titles are used in Psalm 119. Many different titles for Scripture. And these titles are used by the authors of these Psalms to highlight the multi-dimensional quality of the, the scriptures. And each title, and I'm going to review them for you in a second, but each title has a slightly different nuance that brings out a special feature of the Word of God to help us understand God 
more clearly. In Psalm 119, we're going to come across at least eight different titles for the Word of God. Um, some commentators believe there are ten, but most at least agree on these eight synonyms that dominate the, uh, the psalm. So look at the first few verses with me, if you would, and I'm going to point out some of these titles that are used to um, refer to the Word of God in general. Look at Psalm 119, verse 1. Blessed are those whose way are blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. So there we have this idea of law, which simply is translated from the word Torah, and it means to teach or to direct. Uh, it's used as, in the form of a single command. This is a law of God, or the law of God in more general terms, like the first five books of the, of the Bible called the Pentateuch, uh, which is a, a collection of five books that's also called the law of God. In fact, all of Scripture Paul calls the law of God. So we have that particular usage. And then look at verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. We have that also as a reference to the Word of God. And the testimony, the reference of testimony or the title of testimony, is the same kind of thing that would come to your mind if you were asked to give testimony in the court of law. It's, you're, you're saying something about someone or some instance, which is why you're on the stand. And so these words in Scripture are testimonies to God about him or what he has done. Look at the next verse. Three, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. His ways are another title. Um, verse four, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Again, another title, precepts. So we have, we have law, we have testimonies, we have precepts. And this word precept is really drawn from the from the sphere of an investigating officer or an overseer, a person who's responsible to look into the details of an event so that they can take action. Okay, what took place here? Kind of like a parent. What took place here? Let me figure this out, and then I'll just tell you uh, how we're going to solve it. So, precepts. The next, as we read on in Psalm 119, we'll see this idea of statutes. And the idea of statutes is like a binding force, a, a permanent scripture, a permanent uh, testimony given about God. It kind of has the idea of being engraved in stone or etched in stone or inscribed in stone. Um, and it's kind of a, a permanent witness to who God is or what he's done. And then commandments, which I already referred to, it, it emphasized more than just a, a straight authority, um, but also the right to give orders. This is when you come across the word commandment. Then we'll come across also uh, through this psalm the word ordinance. Sometimes it's translated judgments. And this particular word um, brings the nuance out of um, uh, the decisions that come from an all-wise judge. If you have a person who is all-wise and they tell you something about how life ought to be run, you would be a wise person to respond appropriately. That's kind of the idea behind the usage of the word ordinance or judgments. And then, of course, the Word of God is titled the Word of God. That word, word, is used um, to give us the idea of the will of God on any matter. And then promise, the eighth is promise. And this particular word is very similar to the Hebrew word, word, um, but it is translated um, as promise in many cases to help us see that God fulfills his word to us. And then of course, like I already mentioned, there's this title of ways or faithfulness or your name. These all refer to uh, the word of God or titles to the word of God. And so when we come across them, I want you to recognize what they are and see that they are, they are not to be viewed independently of the other eight or ten titles, but viewed in conjunction with the others to round out our view of what Scripture is, to help us see the, the multidimensional reality of the Word of God. It's not just laws, it's not just commandments, it's not just precepts, it's all these things together that help the human mind understand what's happening when we read the Word of God. So, you could, you could be you could misunderstand 
the desire of the psalmist and think that he's just all about worshiping the word of God above God himself, above the author. And I want to, I want to help you see that that in fact is not the case by simply pointing out that without exception, every single reference in this passage, Psalm 119, relates explicitly to the author of the word. Every single passage. Starting in verse 4 to the end of Psalm 119, it is a prayer or an affirmation that addresses God specifically. So a love for God cannot and will not be diminished by the study of the Word of God. It's only enhanced. It's energized. We can never get too much Scripture, which is why we keep dumping it on you at Sun Valley Church. You cannot have too much. You can have too much of almost anything else but Scripture. I had a meeting with a young lady from Sun Valley Church a few years back at her request. She wanted to tell me that she was leaving Sun Valley Church because she thought that she had had enough doctrine and needed a little more Jesus. And uh, she said she wasn't leaving out of disappointment or spiritual malnourishment. She just desired to love Jesus more. And I tried to gently tell her um, that one couldn't find Jesus outside his word. If you really truly want to fall in deeper love with Christ, if you really truly want to experience Jesus more, the only path to that experience is the word of Christ, which should dwell in you richly, right? So you can't go find Jesus on Mount Clemens. You have to find him in his word. That's the only place he reveals himself to us. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that as our love for Christ grows, it is in, in the uh, direct connection to the amount of submersion we are in the word. Your love for Christ equals your intake of his word. Those two are never out of balance. You can't say, I really love Jesus, I just can't stand reading the Bible. Doesn't work. And you cannot be a scholar, a, a true spiritual scholar, and not love Jesus. You can certainly know not a lot of technical things about the Bible and not love Jesus, but you cannot be a spiritual scholar and not love Christ. This is a very intriguing chapter, chapter Psalm 119, in that it was written to be memorized. Now, I don't know if there's anybody here that has Psalm 119 memorized, but every Jewish child had to memorize Psalm 119. It was like learning to brush your teeth to them. You must brush your teeth. You must learn Psalm 119. There's no other way around it. You're going to memorize Psalm 119. The advantage they had is that this, in Hebrew, this particular chapter was structured and organized in a way that was easy to remember. If you look at your copy, you'll notice that there are stanzas. Do you see them? Look down at your text. You'll see that verses 1 through 8 is in a stanza, and it's titled what? Aleph. You know what that is? It's the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. If you look at the second eight verses, what do you see? Beit, or Beth, if you're an English speaker. But it is a reference to the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. This goes on for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet, all 22. 22 times 8 is 176. All right, so we have this highly structured psalm that every verse in the first section starts with Aleph. Every verse in the second section starts with Beit. Every section in the third, all the way through the Hebrew alphabet. So if you're sitting here as a first grader, What's the next word? It starts with an aleph. You'll remember. Now, you can, unfortunately, it's not so easy in the English language. But it's easier than learning Hebrew. Okay? You take your choice. So I would encourage you to find yourself in Psalm 119 often in the next years of your life. Be there. Um, it's it's going to be a 
time well spent that will reward you greatly. Let's look at the qualities that, that this particular chapter will point out to us regarding Scripture. The qualities of Revelation. Psalm 119 teaches us that there are three recurring qualities that come with the intake of God's Word. And the first is delight. Do you have enough delight in your life? <laughs> the answer probably is no. Every one of us wants more delight. It's kind of a hunger that we all have. We want more of that, right? Psalm 119 tells us that the source of our delight is found in the Scriptures. It's a persistent theme throughout this psalm. Look at verse 14, for example. Psalm 119 says this, In the way of your testimonies, that's, that's another title for the Word of God, testimonies, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. A delight so great that he, he parallels it with great riches comes to those who will find themselves in the Word of God. And you guys all thought you wanted to win the lottery. The Word of God evidently brings as much delight as any riches may. Look at verse 16. I will delight in your statutes and will not forget your word. That delight is the same word that we found in verse 14 in the English translation. But in the Hebrew, it's two different words. Hebrew word for delight in verse 14 speaks of an exuberant, exultant delight, something that you might experience at a wedding. At least you should, Trevor. All right. But the delight described in, in verse 16 still is in the, in the category of delight, but it's more of a quiet, restful delight that you might experience watching a sunset on the beach. So it, 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 it brackets both ends of human delight. This is what the Word of God will do for you, according to the psalmist. So do you lack delight? God's promise is that those who will spend time taking in and actually marinating themselves in the Word of God will find delight. The next thing, or next quality that we would see if we spend time in the Word is even more significant than delight, it's love. This, this psalm reveals that those who love God's Word actually love God and love people and love life. So if we will fall in love with God's word, it will create a love for God and a love for others and a love for life that will reciprocally, reciprocally be experienced in receiving love themselves or yourselves. Do you want to experience more love? The psalmist says, dive into the word. You'll, if you love the word, you'll love God, you'll love others, you'll love life more. If you think life is a bummer, spend more time in the Word. And that perspective and attitude will change. Love. Psalm 119 shows us that it is God that creates a love for Scripture. And so we really are dependent upon Him to do His work in us. As I've studied this psalm now for over a year preparing for this sermon series verse 18 has stuck in my mind um, over and over and over again as a prayer for this church and for you and I'm hoping that you'll highlight it underline it circle it whatever you'll need to do to remember it and make it your own prayer it says this open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things in your law I want you to love the word of God and the only way that that'll happen is if God opens your eyes to it. So make it your prayer daily. It's been my prayer for you, for myself, for this church for quite some time. Look at verses 20 and 40 at the same time, if you would. You'll notice he describes a longing in his heart. Verse 20 says, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times, rules, again, the Word of God, 
he has this longing that he's describing in verse 40, for I long for your precepts uh, in your righteousness, give me life. Now this, this longing that he's describing is experienced in, in Psalm 103, in the, the 103rd verse by a, a, a pleasurable appetite. Look at Psalm 119, verse 103. It says this about his longing. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So this longing is being rewarded by the sweet taste of honey almost to this man, to this author. And he says something similar in verse 131. Look at that verse. He goes, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. It's like he's been chasing down the commandments of God and he's just out of breath for more and more. But you need to know that his pursuit isn't in the trivia of the word or in the word itself. His pursuit is in the God of the word. Look back to verse 2 to confirm this, which is really a central thrust of this whole chapter. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. You see, the, the, our, our path to God, our, our route to his a relationship with him and, and, a, and, a, and a significant, deep, meaningful, satisfying relationship with him is through and only through his word. Our commitment to scripture at Sun Valley Church is, is not so much about the scriptures. We know and are committed to the reality that it is only through these scriptures that we unload on you on a regular basis that you will encounter God. That's it. There is nothing sacred about scriptures outside of God. In my freshman theology class, uh, I was beyond shocked as my professor picked up his copy of the Bible, walked to the back of the class and threw it with a fast pitch overhand and hit the front blackboard and fell to the ground. And all those freshmen were like, <laughs> choking on our air intake. His point was, this is not sacred from God. Without God, this is paper and ink. And that's it. And so we must keep in mind that this is God's word only as we pursue God through it. He is our pursuit. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, if you want to write this down, it's, I don't think it's in your, in your uh, bulletin or on, the, or on the overhead, but 1 Peter 3, 18 Peter says this, for Christ suffered once for sins that the righteous, wait a minute, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Not that he would bring us to the word, not that he would bring us to the manuscripts, but that he would bring us to God. That's why Christ suffered. You see, all of this, Jesus, the apostles, the psalmist, their pursuit was God through the word. So we have love and delight promised us through our intake of the word. And we also see this in Psalm 119, awe. Psalm 119 verse 161 says, princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. The Bible tells us that the voice of God created the universe. The voice of God controls the orbits of planets and stars. The voice of God shatters the trees of Lebanon and makes earthquake. The voice of God commands the wind and the rain and controls the weather patterns. The voice of God establishes kings and presidents and dictators. And what you hold in your hand, friends, is simply the voice of God in written form. All that I've just mentioned to you that God's voice accomplishes you are holding in your hand. This is important. 
Is there any doubt that the word of God that you hold in your hand can bring delight and love and awe into your relationship with him? Into your experience of your Christian life? Let's look at the benefits of Revelation. The first is freedom. What benefit is there from being in the Word of God? Freedom. What do I mean? Well, Derek Kidner, the the commentator, said this. Where God is master, service is perfect freedom. Where God is master, service is perfect freedom. You know, this psalm speaks often of the commandments of God. But in verse 45, we read this. Listen. And I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. What do you think the psalmist is referring to? Think about it for a second. He says, as I, as I consider your precepts, I'm going to be walking in a wide place. This carries the idea of much latitude and freedom as we walk with Christ. In contrast to what many think the Christian life is all about, we who believe and love God and his word actually live in a sphere of freedom. Not slavery. Our freedom is found within God's precepts, not in release from them. Many skeptics suggest that we Christians are under the weight of a to-do list. Maybe some of those skeptics are present this morning. But... These skeptics want us to believe that that Christians uh, really have a hard time having any fun because of all the laws we must put up with and get in line with. But the author of the psalm wants to suggest that the genuine believer is actually the freest person on the planet. There are two aspects to this freedom that we'll come across as we read this psalm. And the first aspect of this freedom experienced Uh, to those who follow the word, is that sin's dominion over us actually diminishes the more we align ourselves with Christ and his word. Did you hear that? Sin is a cruel master. Sin sin is uh, is a taskmaster, a slave driver, and you do what sin says or else. But when we align ourselves with God's way, with his word, it breaks sin's dominion over us. God's word breaks that, the power of enslavement that comes from sin. Listen to verse 133. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. So staying in line with God's precepts, the word of God, coincides directly with freedom. When we are careful to follow the direction of God's word, we discover that the sinful things that hold us in bondage are actually slowly but surely broken. Secondly, the second aspect of this freedom that we find when we pursue God in his word is something that is particularly intriguing to me. Uh, if you were to remain isolated uh, with very little input into your uh, collection of knowledge, you would be a very basic person, right? Uh, If all your perceptions of reality were based on your own personal experience, how much wisdom would you have? How much input would you have in the lives of others? Very little, if any. Insert the word of God and everything changes, doesn't it? It says in Psalm 19 that the word of God makes wise the simple-minded. Are you simple-minded? I know I'm way too simple-minded. In order for me to have any input into your life, I have to have an injection of the word of God. I've told you this before. I have literally nothing to say to you. And yet I'm up here talking every Sunday. What's going on there? It's got everything to do with the injection of the Word of God into my brain and hopefully to my heart and out of my mouth. That's the idea. 
of preaching. If you ever come across a pastor who thinks he has something in and of himself to share with you, it's a good time to exit the building. The only thing I have to share with you is the Word of God. And so, this is the second aspect of freedom. When you insert the Word of God, it stretches your mind so that you encounter greater wisdom, greater vision than your own. Psalm 119.32, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. He wasn't talking about a physical heart, he was talking about his mind. I will be able to follow you, Lord, when you open my mind to reality. James Moffat's translation of this verse is, I will obey you eagerly as you open up my life. Our loving God, who has revealed himself to us in his word, as Dennis said, God has revealed himself to us in a book, makes our walk through this life wide and free. He doesn't call us to himself to restrict our joy, but just the opposite, to expand our capacity for joy and fulfillment. And some of you might say, well, John, Jesus himself said the way is narrow and the gate is small. And I would say it is actually true. That is true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one gets the Father but through me, this little small gate. But what happens when you pass through the gate? Then you experience the joy and freedom that's in Christ, and only those who believe in him can experience it. Everybody else is still under the shackles of sin, doing what that sin master requires. Friends, come through the gate, and you'll see by the word of God the freedom that comes with being in Christ. Last week, I was looking out our kitchen window at the beautiful Latanum Ridge in the evening light as it was cutting into the darkening blue sky, as I was contemplating this sermon, and I was actually feeling a little bit of that, that delight that I was referring to earlier, just enjoying the moment, sitting at our kitchen table, watching the sun go down, and you guys know what I'm talking about when it goes across the Tannum Ridge. And I noticed what I first thought were eagles soaring over the distant sky, um, but to my dismay, they weren't eagles soaring in the distant sky. They were fruit flies crawling on my kitchen window. <laughs> Talk about disappointment. Well, I don't want to be like one of those fruit flies. I want my Christian life, my pilgrimage through this world, to be one of soaring freedom and joy in Christ. I want to feel the delight and love and awe that this psalm describes and promises to those who are full of the word and full of the God of the word. And I want that for you. I don't want to go through this life just hearing about and longing and looking at those great Christian eagles of church history. When all along I'm a fruit fly plastered against the window. I want to be an eagle and not a fruit fly Christian who just watches and reads about all those great eagles out there. Well, Psalm 119 will teach us the way that we can soar like them. And you already know the answer. <laughs> you already know the way. And it's through the intake of the word. But the beauty of the psalm is that it, it paints it in such a way that it just comes out in brilliant, multi-dimensional, colorful glory that draws you in, your heart first, and then your mind, which is how Hebrew poetry works. It grabs your heart, and your mind goes, where are we going? And you wake up, and it's a beautiful place. And that's what Psalm 119 will do for you if you follow the Spirit into these beautiful words of the psalm. Next, we'll see light 
in the, in the text. If you've ever walked in a dark place, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. Trying to get from the bed to the bathroom in the middle of the night, how many toenails have you ripped off? You know? One of the most memorable verses in the Bible, probably most of you have it memorized, is Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Oh, how important is a light to the path for those in darkness. For us in darkness. Blindly moping our way through the world. This is what God's word does for those who will will take it in. Verse 130 is one of the reasons I'm preaching Psalm 119. It says this, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding. It imparts understanding to the simple. And so I, as your pastor, want to unfold Psalm 119 to you and in the process unfold the scriptures to you so that you'll have light and understanding. So when you're stumbling through dark places in your life, you'll have better, clearer vision of what's going on. We know that having sight without insight is of little value, right? When we read the psalmist's request to give understanding, give, give me understanding, which he says in verse 34, 73, 125, 144, and 169. Give me understanding. The psalmist is asking for discernment, for light. Help me understand how to respond to these circumstances I'm in. How do you deal with these things in life that are so challenging? Each of you has an amazingly challenge, uh, challenging uh, situation in your life right now. I could ask, point to anybody in here and say, if you were honest, share with me the most challenging thing you're in. It would be challenging. And we would all sit in here scratching our head. What should we do? What should we do? The Word of God brings clarity to every circumstance. It brings discernment. Look at what verse 104 says about this. Through your precepts, through the word of God, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. It's through the word of God that we gain understanding and see things as they actually are. So that we can make good decisions. So that we can glorify God. So that we can enjoy him. So we can enjoy one another as we should. The more spiritual insight we have, the better chance we have of avoiding harmful things. Of spraining our spiritual toes. The more of God's word that settles in our minds, the less the world's going to influence us. The more delight, the more love, the more awe will fill our hearts. Awe directly related to the intake of God's word. Besides freedom and light, the word of God also brings life, we are told in Psalm 119. Life. How can God's word grant life? Well, we know um, from our study in Romans that faith comes from hearing, that is, spiritual life comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ, right? So we know spiritual life comes from the word of God through the, um, the vehicle of God's word. But the idea, and it's nuanced in this psalm, but the idea is that it's more than spiritual life that's being offered through the Word of God. It's actually abundant life, more enjoyable physical life that comes from the Word. Listen to this. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. He was already alive. What's he talking about? Live abundantly that I may enjoy it. Not just exist, but live Verse 159, consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. Verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life, gives me hope, gives me direction in my affliction. Verse 93, I will never forget your precepts for by them you have given me life. Friends, do you lack that abundant life? Do you find yourself just kind of 
you know, bumping along life and surviving barely? Well, the promise here from these words of the inspired psalmist is that the Word of God brings you to a place of abundance, of joy, fulfillment, satisfaction. That word even sounds good, doesn't it? It also brings stability. I don't know about you, but I'm always needing stability. I don't know if you've ever been dizzy in your life. You probably have. And if you haven't, you will be. When you're dizzy, what do you do? You reach for something, don't you? Yeah, you, you grab the fence post or you grab the door or you get, hold the back of a chair or you kneel down or you do something to stabilize yourself. Listen to verse 23 of Psalm 19. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Even when the most powerful people in your life are causing you problems, the word of God will stabilize your life. I know that this instability is common in life. Your finances might be in chaos. Your relationships may be crumbling around you. Your job might be in jeopardy. You might be stressed out about impending decision that is before you. Where do you turn? Well, the Bible tells us, this psalm tells us that the Bible is that place of stability. And so when the believer in crisis runs to the scriptures, it isn't the same as those who run to yoga or run to transcendental meditation or run to their horoscope or run to a bag of fortune cookies or run to alcohol. It's not the same. Because when a believer runs to the word of God, it's an act of faith. Believing that God's word is true. That he's actually promised something to those who will come. We're not looking for a crutch. We're looking for an answer. We believe the promises that God has made regarding the worth and effect of his word is true. Let's now wrap this up, this introduction to this psalm, by looking at Revelation and living life. How should Revelation connect to your life? Well, the first thing you need to know if you're a believer that the Bible calls you a stranger and an alien. And as I've said many times before, some of you are stranger than others. But we are called strangers and aliens. We live in a very similar world to the psalmist of Psalm 119. He lived among skeptics and antagonists. He had to deal with those who claimed to know God that really didn't. In his own family, he had those who didn't believe in God. His world was full of opponents of God and God's word. He had people hate him simply because he loved God. You ever find yourself there? Paul said to not be surprised when you endure hardship because that's what you signed up for as a Christian. The Schubert translation. That's what to expect, right, as a Christian? Did anybody really believe that life was supposed to get easier when you came to Christ? I, well, some of you may have if you came to Christ in the wrong circumstances. But if you did, you woke up real quick, didn't you? This isn't a, a, a ticket to ease the Christian life, is, isn't it? We, we are strangers and aliens. The, the psalmist experienced slander and abuse because of what he believed. The writer really struggled with how to deal with those who seemed to oppose him and his God, and, and many of us experience that. Also, we need to consider the idea of survival. I mean, it seems like that is the goal, is just to survive, right, as a Christian in this world. The only way the writer figured he could survive the times that he lived in was to grab hold of God through his word. 
He, he humbly and continually attempted to seek God and make right decisions about people and things by saturating himself with the word of God. Psalm 119 is a quest for spiritual survival. He, he knows, the author does, knows the answers to his questions are found only here in the scriptures. And he preaches to himself about the importance of being connected to the word day in and day out, morning and evening and noon. He knew that God was at work in him through these difficult times. And he desired that the Lord would continue his work in him. You know, this is a dilemma for me because I know how God works. I desire in my heart of hearts that God works in me. I want to be conformed to the image of Christ. But I know the only way to get there is genuinely through hardship. <laughs> and so when I ask God to continue his work in me, I know what I'm signing up for. Which is why I pray sometimes, God, is there any way to make me a spiritual giant without pain? Is that possible? You know, a great Puritan said that God will never use anyone greatly till he has wounded him deeply. So how deep do you really want to go with Christ? How greatly do you want to be used for the glory of God? Your answer will equal the amount of pain you sign up for. But this author does a good job of reminding us that it's well worth it. Jesus said the very same thing as did the Apostle Paul. Our light and momentary trials are nothing compared to the weight of glory that was yet to be revealed. They're light and momentary. <laughs> Look at the way the psalmist viewed his own struggles, his own hardship. In verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Friends, we're all trying to survive. Some of us use different methods of survival. We all have challenging circumstances. We all need help navigating Christian life. And this is why the intake of the Word of God is just as critical to us as it was to the author. If there's ever been a time that we need God's perspective on our life, wouldn't it be now? We have leaders of countries threatening nuclear war. And living in the Northwest isn't the safest place in that conversation. Right? <laughs> we are pretty much the closest mainland to that enemy of the, of the state. What's that make you think about? Friends, we have weather that's wreaking havoc. We have earthquakes killing hundreds. We have fires burning down our beautiful Northwest. We have families falling apart. We have marriages disintegrating. And many continue to try to make it all work by ignoring God, by embracing, the, embracing worldly counsel and shallow solutions. But Christian friend, we must not go anywhere but the word but to God himself. That is our only hope for survival. What the United States and North Korea does, does not matter to the Christian. Right? Our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. Not in politics. Friends, we need Christ. We need his word. Psalm 119, verse 44, I will keep your law continually. Why? Because you must. <laughs> you must embrace it. If you're going to live in a life of joy and delight and clarity and satisfaction, this must be your path. Verse 32 says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. And so this is the only path. That is the option for the Christian. Now, I don't know about you, but I want my only hope to be in Christ. And this is an ongoing struggle with me and I think probably with you. I don't want to put my faith in political solutions or my confidence in any kind of 
fitness routines or diet plans or anything like that, and medications, uh, that, they don't work. And anyways, the, the current diet plan you're on within a year is going to be proven to be bad for you. <laughs> right? And so we don't want to build our life on sinking sand. Right? But on Christ, the solid rock, we want to stand. So this, this chapter is going to be good for us. It is going to continually motivate us and challenge us to run to Christ through his word, which is what we need. So I pray that you'll be here. Uh, get in the habit of reading the scriptures. If in fact they're this important, get in the habit of reading scriptures. One of the reasons that scriptures have so little impact on us is because they look like this when you take them home instead of like this. So here's a small little trick that has worked for me. When you get home, open your Bible to wherever it falls. And it'll, if you're in this church, it'll fall to Romans, to uh, Genesis, uh, or to John. And leave it on your kitchen table, wherever it falls open. And read it when you walk by, even if it's just for a minute or five. Just read it. Be motivated. Get up a little earlier. Turn the TV off a little sooner. Read the Word. And if you want to get ahead, read Psalm 119 and reread it and reread it. And you'll be blessed. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that we are so easily drawn away by worldly things. We uh, even sit in church thinking about other things that are so unimportant. We acknowledge that and we know that without your Holy Spirit that these things simply won't happen. Our love for the, the Word won't ever materialize if it's left up to us. And so, Father, I ask that by your mercy and grace you would grant through the power of the Holy Spirit a love for the Word, a desire for the Word. Uh, I ask that you would richly reward those who spend time there as your Word has promised you would. And so, God, motivate us as individuals and as a church to be people of the Word, Father, do your work in us as we spend time there. Glorify yourself in us. Bring us hope and strength and direction, joy and satisfaction, delight, all these things that we've talked about today as we spend time there. And I ask that you would do it quickly, that you would reward us quickly when we go there and find ourselves in your word. And I pray this for your glory and our good. Amen.